very good to be with y'all this morning. Uh, very good to be, uh, make it to another Lord's Day, another first day of the week. Uh, start afresh. Hopefully, uh, try to, uh, what is it, repair some of the things that went on last week by starting a new week. Uh, so it's good to see you all. Uh, we're going to look at uh, 1 Timothy 6 today. I want to try to get a, uh, take in a bigger section, so 10 verses. Um, we are closing in on the end of Timothy. Um, I do have a plan for uh, the next uh, uh, lesson. I'm excited about it, um, but we'll talk more about that as we get closer. So we should have just a couple more weeks after this, I think, and then we should be done. Um, so let's start with prayer, and then we'll get into our uh, section today. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we uh, thank you for your love, your mercy to us, and your Son, Jesus. We thank you that Christ died to save us from our sins, and that as we flee to him in faith, we have nothing to fear, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you for this wonderful freedom we have as your people to glory in Christ and to uh, put all of our trust in him and in his work. As we do this, Father, we pray that you would help us to understand these words of this section of Holy Scripture. For these are words of, uh, these are living and active words, the words of Jesus Christ, the words of our, our God who has called us to himself. We pray that you would uh, open our ears to hear and to a abide by them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Timothy 6. Um, I'm just going to read the first couple of verses, and then we'll do commentary as we go along. So, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and uh, beloved. Okay, so Paul addresses the issue of slavery in this sort section. He refers to bond servants or slaves. Uh, bond servants in the New Testament era should not be equated with the chattel slavery that we usually think of when you hear the word slavery, which is a reference to uh, the slavery that existed in this country for the first hundred years or so of, it, of its existence. Chattel slavery in the U.S. was based on race, and it was often cruel and barbaric, so very, very different. Uh, slaves in the U.S. also didn't, for the most part, they didn't have much of a hope for freedom. They were treated as property, really as almost like uh, impersonal objects. Um, so it's quite cruel, quite barbaric. Not to say that slavery in Paul's day wasn't barbaric or wasn't cruel, but it's not exactly the same. Bond servants in Paul's day were in servitude to their masters, but they did have a chance for upward mobility. So bond servants, for example, could rise in ranks in politics. They could um, achieve social, uh, much higher social status than being a slave. They could, they could move upward and in their social status. Uh, slaves during this time were known to have owned property and even to have achieved noble status. So they, they were, were elected to uh, the Roman council, Roman senate, what, what have you. And so 
It's, it's slavery for sure. Um, we don't want to take too much away from it, but it's a slavery that's a little bit different. It's not to be equated with the slavery that was seen in this country uh, for, for nearly 100, for around 100 years. Uh, with this in mind, though, it is certain that there were instances of poor and even cruel care coming from the masters of slaves. Peter mentions this in his letter in chapter 2. He says, Servants, be subject to your masters, or slaves, it's the same reference. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And so there were unjust slave owners in Paul's day that could treat their bond servants cruelly. Believing servants, though, were to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. That is, these bond servants that Paul is referencing here, Um, that are Christians, they are to do everything in their power to treat their masters with honor, um, with respect. Now notice that Paul says, he mentions their own masters. They're not to treat all masters with respect, just your own master. Show your own master honor uh, and respect. Uh, Paul differentiates between believing masters and unbelieving masters here. He says, if a servant had a believing master, he was to treat him with honor all the more. And not be disrespectful. Why? Because they are brothers. Yes, you are in this relationship with this person who is a master over you. Uh, he or she possibly is your, uh, your owner, as it were. You're, um, you are a bondservant to them. You are to treat them with honor, especially if they are a Christian, because they are part of the family of God. They are other family members in the house of God. Now, a similar situation, you might think, okay, well, this is all well and good for, you know, the first and second century, right? You know, where are bond servants today? Um, we don't normally have something like this in our uh, society, but we do have bosses. Uh, we don't have masters per se, but we do have superiors, supervisors, bosses and jobs, parents. Uh, we are to honor them so as not to revile the gospel. In other words, Christians should not behave in such a way with our superiors that would give an impression to them that Christians are rebellious. No place in Scripture does... There is no place in Scripture that honors or encourages rebellion against higher authority. You won't find it. Instead, you will find repeated references to things like this. Let all bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. And again, Peter even says to the, to the just and the unjust, submit yourself uh, to their leadership, to their authority. Um, now, why do, you think, why do you think Paul brings up the issue of slavery here, bond servants? Now, of course, uh, keep in mind that um, Timothy would be pastoring a church where bond servants would be. And so there's, he'd be pastoring a church where there'd be bond servants and masters. And so it's on just on a practical level, he's got to minister to them. You know, what is he to say to them? Um, but what's, there's a deeper issue, I think. Um, what do you think that might be? Or what, what, could, what could possibly be um, problematic thinking on the part of the church when we're talking about bond servants and masters? What do you think? Slavery. Masters. Yes, Jeff. Um, 
Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so Jeff brings out the point that these people are coming from a Roman background, Roman culture. Um, that's a very good point because what, what was espoused in Roman culture? What was espoused from in the Roman mindset? It is that might is right, right? You, you force people to submit by the use of your power. And so a bondservant... Uh, could take that mindset and say, well, I don't want to be a slave anymore. I'm going to assert my, my power over my superiors and perhaps lead a rebellion. I actually watched a documentary that talked about Spartacus, uh, the Roman, he was a Roman slave who led a rebellion against, uh, against his slave owners and um, was eventually put down. Anyway, yeah, so that Roman mindset is there. Yes, Mike. Exactly. Very good. So if you're a believer, you're a bond servant, you have a master who's not a believer, um, a proper inclination towards your master is that you would hope that they would be saved and be attracted to the gospel. Um, find it very difficult um, to make the gospel attractive as a, an employee, as a servant, if you're constantly in rebellion against your superiors, those who, who are over you. Yes, Brian. Good point. Yeah, excellent point. So Brian brings out the point that Paul uses the same term to refer to his relationship to Christ and his service as an apostle. I'm a slave of Christ. I'm a bondservant of Christ. And what type of relationship is that between Paul and Christ? Well, it's one of total submission, right? Total humility, complete submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, Christ, we don't have to worry about Christ being cruel to us, he's perfect, he's good, he's loving, right? But we are called to submit. Now, it's a different story when you're talking about masters, supervisors, even parents sometimes. You know, sometimes they can be cruel. Um, but the overall attitude for us should be submission, one of humility. As far as that goes, right? Um, if a master or a supervisor asks you to, you know, take part in a, um, you know, worshiping false gods or 
disobeying God's word, obviously you can't do that. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of room for submission when we're talking about these relationships. Okay, one of the things uh, I wanted to mention is uh, the, the idea of freedom, right? The gospel is a message of freedom. The good news says that you have been set free from the tyranny of Satan. Set free from the tyranny of sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are a slave to Jesus Christ and to righteousness, right? The good news, the gospel, does not say that freedom is equated, the type of freedom that it offers guarantees or means that you are entitled to a civil freedom. It doesn't mean that you are guaranteed or entitled to freedom from being a bondservant to a master, right? That's not the gospel. A bondservant can be freed from sin, freed from Satan, and live and die as a, as a slave his entire life and then go to be with the Lord. And that would never bring any type of disparaging uh, teaching or disparaging outlook on the gospel because the gospel's not about that. It's not about our personal physical freedoms in the civil realm. It's about freedom from spiritual tyranny. I would rather be, or Paul, I mean, the, the gospel writers, New Testament writers, and you know, I think all of us would agree, I would rather be a bondservant to an unjust master and be a Christian than be, not be a Christian and be free to do what I want in the civil realm. That's the attitude that, um, that Christians should have. And so Paul understands that Timothy will be ministering to bondservants. They might get a warped view of freedom and think, I'm, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't be a servant anymore. I shouldn't be a bondservant anymore, right? Paul says, no, no, no. That's not what the gospel is about. You need to continue to be submissive to your master. Show him or her, whoever it is, show them the glory of the gospel, that you, you serve something higher, and that you're willing to be a slave for however long the Lord wants you to be because you, you look to something better. And so... Um, that's a particular issue that comes out in the book of Philemon, um, which is a very, very short book in the New Testament, but I think that's part of what Paul's doing here. So Paul says, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of Jesus and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit. He understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Okay, say so again, this called for Timothy to teach and urge these things. It's just a call to continue, repeat these things, teach them, don't stop teaching them. He says also that Timothy, um, we see that one of Timothy's roles as a shepherd pastor of a church is to guard the, the flock from wolves if anyone teaches a different doctrine. The focus then is on teachers, but not true teachers, false teachers. So Timothy is to be on guard against other superficial teachers, so-called leaders who would bring in something that could damage uh, the church, or bring in uh, false teaching. Timothy is to be aware of them. 
He says, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy, avoid such people. Uh, notice too that Paul equates the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, these things, the things in this letter. He says, teach and urge these things. And then he mentions the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. He equates those things. They're all the word of God. We looked at this a little bit last time when uh, he quotes Jesus' words, the laborer deserves his wages. Paul's writings to Timothy, the writings of the New Testament, the sayings of Jesus in the gospel recorded in the gospels, they're all the word of God. And of course, the Old Testament uh, as well. Now notice how Paul connects doctrine and life. He had done this before in this uh, letter. Um, Earlier he had said the sexual, immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound uh, doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed uh, God. And so here he says the teaching that accords with godliness, right? Guard against people who are not teaching the truth, not teaching the gospel as has been given to us, the teaching that accords with godliness. Doctrine and life are never severed. They are never separated. You cannot believe untruth. You cannot believe something that's false and not expect it to negatively affect your life as a Christian, your, your personal life. What we believe shapes what we do. It shapes who we are. Notice that Paul characterizes false teachers. He, he gives us an example of that here. They are characterized by conceit. They have an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words. In other words, they love to create suspicion. They love to create uh, questions about God's word. Can we really trust this? What about this word? But what does it really mean? And they, they rob it from its context. They strip it from its context and they tear apart this little word and they try to convince the church that what God is saying in his word is not actually what he's saying. Does that make sense? So you see there that they're, they're full of conceit. They, they love this. They love this controversy. They love quarrels about this because they're trying to deceive God's people. And so Timothy is uh, to beware of them. These kinds of things produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction. That's, I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that, right? This is, this is all the fruit of false doctrine. It teaches you to be suspicious of God, suspicious of others, to be selfish, self-motivated, or motivated by selfish uh, desires rather than the opposite. And so that's, that's what you get from all this. This is what John Calvin says. I like this quote. He says, As thick clouds during hot weather that are not dispelled without thunder, so those thorny questions must burst into disputes. It's like thick clouds in the sky. They don't, they don't remain stagnant, right? Eventually, the storm comes. And so that's what, that's what false teaching does. Um, I'll stop there for a minute. Uh, any questions or thoughts on that? What do you think? Yeah, Mike.
Yeah, that's a very good point. So uh, Mike brings out the issue of social media. Um, we, you know, we live in a, a climate where a lot of communication is done in little snippets and, you know, uh, messages in less than 150 characters, right? Uh, and so, uh, and a lot of that is meant to influence and convict people of a certain ideology, a certain teaching. And sometimes they even will pervert scripture and those things and lead people astray. So we have to be careful of that. Yeah, definitely. Good point. Anything else? Yeah. Okay, let's keep going. Um, Paul says um, that these people think that godliness is a means of gain. And so we see the real reason behind some of what these false teachers do. It's not the only reason. Um, They perform an outward godliness to rob the church of money, all the while spreading immorality like a disease. So that's that's really what they're after. They they think that external godliness is a way in which they can make money, uh, make gain for them, gain for themselves. Um, And that is uh, that is one of the characteristics of these types of people. He talks more about. Uh, the issue of money right here. He says, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Ouch, right? <laughs> uh, now, Timothy, he may not be one of these false teachers, right, that he's supposed to look out for. He's a sincere pastor. But Paul is not so naive about Timothy as to think that the desire to be financially rich wasn't possible with him. It was. Timothy is certainly prone to be tempted to desire to be rich. And so he reminds Timothy Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of the world. This is very similar to what uh, Job said. Job, if you remember, he had much wealth, lots of wealth and property, he had lots of children, he had living the, living the dream, as it were, and yet he had it all taken away by God, all of it. His property, even his children died, even his physical health deteriorated. And what did Job say? He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We are fully dependent. This is something that we forget, and pastors forget, easily forget as well. Timothy, um, the one you're looking at right now. Um, we We easily forget that we are fully dependent upon the Lord at birth. We are fully dependent upon the Lord at death. When our spirits leave our bodies and return to him, we are fully dependent upon him for those things to happen, for salvation, for our sustenance, for our perseverance. What we receive in this life, however little it is, however much it is, is determined by God. He decides. And he gives it, and it's given to us by God. And therefore, whatever he gives us is to be used in service of his glory. And we are to be content with what he decides 
to give us, right? Timothy could easily fall into this category of someone who desires to be rich. He covets more than what he, more than what he has. If you think of this context, um, this might be a, a harder temptation for guys like Timothy, you know, Paul. You see this in the Psalms where you, you know, people, false teachers come and they're bragging about their false teaching, but you also see that they, they make a lot of money, right? They, they, are, they are successful in robbing the church of a lot of money, and they seem to get away with it for years and years and years, right? And you, you, you might think of the psalmist in one of the psalms that says, you know, I, I almost slipped because I saw uh, the prosperity of the wicked. And so uh, this is something, some, something that Timothy would be, need to be reminded of over and over again, that we are to be content. Paul encourages Timothy toward a simple, humble lifestyle and toward a greater appreciation for the basic necessities of life, food and clothing. If you think about it, that's all we need. Um, God gives us much, much more than that, as he pleases. But at, at the end of the day, if you really think about what we actually need, that's it. We need food and clothing. It's the basic necessities. Now, this certainly doesn't mean that if it pleased the Lord to give Timothy more than this, that he should reject it, right? It's not a call for monasticism or, you know, some type of uh, self-emulation where you deprive yourself of all good things that God places at your feet. If God it was pleased to give Timothy more than he needed, he should receive that, use it, enjoy it, use it for God's glory, enjoy God's blessing. But this teaching does mean that Timothy and all Christians should be content with their lot in life, all of us. That's a difficult thing, isn't it, right? Uh, the call here is that we would be content with what we've been given. We will be given much, much more in the age to come. We don't have that yet, but for now, he gives us some. In fact, sometimes he gives us a lot, much more than we need. And we, we are to be content with that and not desire and more than we have. Um, got a couple more thoughts. Any questions or thoughts on that? Yeah, Jay. Great question. Um, are there, it's a very good question. Put your pastor on the spot. Good job. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. No, that's great. <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, no, are there practical ways um, to guard against this sort of thing? Are there practical, that's the question, are there practical ways um, to be content, right, to guard against uh, covetousness? Um, I'll just say a couple things. I'll get to Eugene, just one second. Um, let me just answer his question real quick. Um, well, one of the ways, um, I think, the, the one thing that comes to my mind is to give financially to the church, right? Pay your tithes, your offerings, or whatever. I know that um, for our family, you know, in the past, and for other families, um, you know, things get tough, and you, you begin to look at that giving line in your budget and you think well you know I could do away with that you know um, but overall as a Christian you'll find that you know that that and on some level it keeps you 
content a, a little bit. Like, no, that belongs to the Lord. The rest is mine. The rest has been given to me. So that's, uh, that's one way. Um, beyond that, um, yeah, you know, beyond that, we're talking about matters of the heart. I mean, he talks about, um, and this is how we finish, you know, the desire to be rich. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? Um, and you think about Judas Iscariot, and he was driven by that desire. How did he end up, right? He was destroyed. Um, and so, uh, not a good place. And so, you know, how do you guard against that? Um, you know, that's, that's a matter, now, now you're getting into the matter of the, you know, the inner disposition of the heart, right? Uh, that's a little bit more difficult to say, do A, B, and C, and you, this won't ever happen to you. Um, pray about it, pray against it, um, ask the Lord to help you to be content with what you have, and ask the Lord to help you to be comfortable with being generous, right? It's, it's, a, you know, it's a lifestyle. You can easily fall into this lifestyle of you know, grab, 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 spend, 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 spend. I want more, I want more, I want more. It's not enough. I mean, for Christians, right? Uh, but you can also just as easily force yourself or create an environment, a pattern where you say, no, 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 I have enough, I have enough, I have enough. Oh, look, now I can give. Now I, can, now I have enough to, to help someone out or whatever it may be. So, yeah, that's a difficult question because now you're getting into the matters of the heart. Um, that's, that's not an easy thing to answer. Yeah, I think Jean had her hand up first, though. What do you think, Jean? Okay. Yep. As frequently as you can, so really. Some people spend time on Thanksgiving Day sharing gratitude lists with their families, but I think more than okay. that is a good idea. <laughs> that's good, yeah. Okay, gratitude list. Stop and think about the things that you're thankful for. Um, that's, that's a good, that's a very good uh, a way to go about it. Very good. Yeah, Mike. That's good. That shows a good disposition of the heart, Mike. And so that um, Mike brings up the point, you know, if you, some of us maybe have gone through times where we, you know, we're just barely scraping by. Uh, maybe we're fully dependent upon the generous giving of someone else. Um, it would be unbecoming of the gospel of being a Christian to, to come out of that and to get to a place where you actually have enough resources, you have, you know, increased wealth. And to forget those days, right? It, you should remember them. Remember the generosity of others and keep yourself humble. Yeah. Yeah, Jeff. Yeah, Jeff says, 
He commends the church to concentrate on the things you do have, which is similar to what Gene was saying. Um, you know, and that, that does take, if you think about it, you're like, well, yeah, sure, everybody agrees with that. Um, you know, but do we actually, you know, do we do that? Right? So that does take a conscious effort, you know, to maybe slow down and stop and, you know, pray to the Lord. Think, think about the things that he's given you and give thanks to him for those things. Yeah, Brian. Very good. Yeah. So the point that Brian's making is that when, if we do come to the Lord in faith and prayer and we open our hearts to him and, and pray to him and say things like, Father, I'm struggling with this. I'm not content. I do covet the things that I don't have. I am, I am in the middle of a pattern of wanting more, desiring to be rich. I see the danger. I need help out of this, Right. Those kinds of things, those kinds of prayers and that attitude is actually an example of faith, right? Strong faith, because you may not have it now, but you trust that God will give it to you at some point according to his will. And that's what, that's, it's not just me talking, this is what the scripture tells us, and that's what Brian brings out. If you look at the Psalms, it's, it's an open heart before God, right? It's the psalmist is saying, I'm in this. I'm in the middle of this. Rescue me, God, right? It's actually it's an, an example of faith. Yeah, very good. Yeah, Jay, one more. Sure. Yeah, good point. Yeah, this stuff happens in community, right? Especially if you think about a husband and wife, you know, uh, it's very difficult very difficult for a husband and wife to um, honor God with their money if they're on separate pages, right? If they're not united in what they're trying to do with what God gives them. Very, very difficult uh, to do. That's just one example. Um, you know, you don't have to tell people everything, but surround your people with, surround yourselves with people that are like-minded, right? Um, and maybe get rid of those ones who are drawing you in a different direction. So very good. Yeah, so in all this, you know, one other thing that we can think about and just really meditate on and as Christians, remember what Christ did. You know, he, though he was rich, he became poor for our sakes uh, to make us rich. He's made us very rich, if we really think about it. We will inherit the earth one day. Many other people will not. Many other people who enjoy lots of riches in this life will not. We will inherit the earth. That is something that we have to cling to by faith, by faith in God's promises. But we have that because Christ became poor, right? He became the poorest of the poor. He died on the cross. And so, um, so yeah, something to think about as we think about these things. Uh, well, let's close in prayer unless anyone has anything else they'd like to add. Let's pray together, yeah. 
Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the riches that we have in Christ, the spiritual blessings that are ours and can never be taken away. We do confess, Father, as your people, that in a country such as ours and with great prosperity, uh, we are tempted by uh, the pull to have more than what we have. We do thank you for uh, members in the church to whom you've given much. And as you speak to the rich in this letter, and so we pray, Father, that the rich and the poor and everyone in between, that we would all honor you with our resources, honor you with our wealth, and that we would be content with what you give us in accordance with your will for godliness with contentment is great gain. So help us in this, Lord. Help us to put to death our sin in this matter and to bring you honor with what you give us. Father, prepare our hearts now for worship as we seek to draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.